Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. So we're in a current series called Game Changers, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it and was also kind of confounded as I was working on the preparation for it. Uh, And I was excited because essentially what we're doing with it is we're looking at key verses that have changed the game for our lives, right? That have been uh, very impacting for us. Uh, And so what we've done is sort of looked at uh, what you would call life verses, what Pastor Milt described last week as life verses, and that what these life verses do is they they show us and guide us and bring us to a foundation that helps us to walk nearer with Jesus Christ. And so uh, last week when Pastor Milt taught, he taught on Psalm 37.4, which is a fantastic verse. It's delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And he explained how that verse for him was freeing in a way that it helped him in guiding his life in decision making, right? And not just one decision, but several, a lifetime of decisions. And I don't know that he knows this, but, or whether he remembers this, but when I was 28 years old, he had actually shared that verse with me as I was struggling with whether or not I wanted to step into full-time ministry, like per, to pursue ministry vocationally. Uh, and the issue I had is it seemed too good to be true. And so Pastor Milt shared that verse with me outside of camp one night. Uh, it was like the last night of camp, and we were just sitting and talking, and I was telling him, and uh, he shared that verse with me, and he said, man, it, if, you're, if you're legitimately delighting in the Lord with your life, then why would the desires of your heart not be lining up with his? And I thought, man, that is, that's gold, right? And so I was, I was excited about it, and, and, and Pastor Milt shared his experience last week with that verse, and, and th- this week where I'll move into, I guess what you would call my life verse, or a very foundational verse for my life, um, I'm just going to let you know there's going to be a significant difference uh, between mine and Pastor Milt's, and the reason is because Pastor Milt's had a lot to do with a decision, like decision-making. It was far more applicable than what I'm going to give you today. I'm just going to let you know. Uh, however, I think it'll be just as impacting in a very spiritual way. Uh, but in order for me to share with you my life verse, I really need to be able to get us to that point. And so... Uh, to do that, I, I would like to testify really quick to you about uh, my encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he saved me. Uh, so if you bear with me for a second in that, I'm going to try and make a very long story short. Uh, but essentially, when I was 11 years old, uh, I ran into a group of guys that were similar to me in the sense that we both apparently like to make bad decisions. Uh, and so at 11, I, I uh, started messing around with what we call gateway drugs, uh, stuff like marijuana, alcohol, uh, started making some worse decisions, got arrested at 11, which really kind of shut down the, the let me pursue a better life scenario, because at that point you're kind of like, well, I guess this is what I am, right? Like I'm a delinquent. Uh, and so from that point on, it really just spiraled downhill continually. By the time I hit 15, uh, I started getting some pretty heavy narcotics and uh, really was introduced to a lot of violence. Uh, and and so there's actually some guys in here, um, it makes it very interesting, that know me, that knew me from high school. Uh, and they would probably attest as well that violence was probably my biggest issue. Um, and a lot of the reasons, because it was the only way I knew how to get respect, was through violence. And so 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to carry on in that, but I'm just going to explain that uh, through that series of events, when you live that lifestyle, things come crashing down uh, regardless of whether you want them to or not. And so, you know, I lost some friends through tragedy, uh, several for that matter. Um, when I was 19 years old, fresh out of high school, I, I was in a motorcycle accident that really mangled my right leg and kind of changed the course of my life to a degree, but not really for the better as you would expect. Um, and so fast forward, uh, 23 years old, a month before I turned 24, June 2009, uh, bought another motorcycle. I uh, love those things, they're a spiritual experience for me. And so I, uh, I bought another motorcycle and uh, one Sunday, I was, I, me and this girl had been dating for a while and uh, we decided to come here. Her mom actually attends this church and so we figured we would come here and meet with her and then go to lunch. Uh, I had no real intention on being at church. I really just wanted to go to lunch because we would go to the diner and I love pancakes. And so I was pretty pumped up about it, right? So we came here and, and to no one's, no one's discredit, I do not remember a single thing really about the service. I just remember being here. In fact, I think we sat in that back corner over there and then immediately when it was over, we left and we went and got lunch. Uh, and it was a beautiful Sunday because it was June and we were hot but not like crazy yet. And so. Uh, we had wrapped up and, and I wanted to go take the new motorcycle out, so I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, hey, uh, if you want to go with me, I'm going to go ride for a couple hours, and she was like, no, nah, I'm going to stay home. Very uncomfortable bike. Um, and so I took off, and I went, I went uh, up to Huntsville, and then it took 30 over toward College Station, so for all you Aggies in the room, uh, it must be the promised land. And so I'm, I'm heading uh, on Highway 30 toward College Station, and if I can make this as anticlimactic as possible, I was born again. There was no light, there was no wreck, there was no voice from heaven. Here's what I know. I was riding a motorcycle, and I was me, uh, sin-loving, God-hating, violent, drug-loving, all immoral, anything Daniel. And suddenly I was not. And the only way I know how to explain that is as I was riding along, uh, it was as if I had spent 23, almost 24 years of my life standing in a dense, thick fog, throwing my hands around to see, but couldn't even see my hand in front of my face, and then suddenly in a split second, the fog lifted. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're going, okay. <laughs> But here's the thing, listen, I got, I got back to my house that day, and my girlfriend at the time, she, she's like, what in the world is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm in a great mood, right? Like, I'm, I just felt alive for the first time ever. It was so amazing. It was so rich. The problem is I had no idea what happened to me. And so I didn't know what you do with that, and so I'm just like, man. And so I just tried to continue on my same pattern of life. Right? Complete and utter ignorance. And do you know what happened? Most bizarre thing. The very next weekend, show up to the party, start doing the thing, and I'm like, I do not enjoy this. Right? It wasn't wrath. I wasn't like, God's going to punish me. It was nothing like that. I just legitimately was not enjoying it. And I'm thinking like, what is going on? And then all my friends, listen, these are guys that I grew up with from 11 years old. I just didn't fit in. And it wasn't like they weren't mean to me, I wasn't mean to them, it was just awkward all of a sudden. It was like I, I felt like I couldn't partake in what was going on. It just, it didn't 
fit. And so this went on for six months. And finally, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was just cut ties and not, not because of the, I still love them to death, but man, it just got to where I felt like they really didn't want me around because I was making the situation uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable because I didn't know what was going on and I felt like everything I'd ever done with my life is now slipping through my fingers, right? So finally, after six months, I said, man, I'm out, dude. I, just, I can't keep doing this, and so I did. Got plugged in here in the youth ministry 2010. Started helping out a little bit, uh, and that was fun. And then, unfortunately, got pulled into a cult. Uh, some of you know that story, some of you don't, and that is for another day. Uh, but got brought into a cult, was in there for about 10 or 11 months. Uh, got brought out by the power of God through his word, praise him. Uh, some of you wonder why I'm so passionate about the word of God, because deception is real. Uh, and then, basically, I'm on this two-year search. It, uh, we, we're, I'm at two years at this point from June of 2009, I'm in 2011, wondering what on earth. All I know is I'm not what I once was. And I'm pursuing the Lord, I really am, and as far as I understood, I was a Christ follower. But I still didn't have an answer. If you would have said, well, what happened? I would just go, I die. <laughs> and then one day, June 2011, I'm sitting and listening to a sermon by a guy named Paul Washer, okay? Uh, and the, the sermon title was called Regeneration Versus Self-Denial. And, and I was not an intellectual type, okay? By no means. And so I didn't know how to look at suffixes and root words and go, oh, I know what regeneration means. And so I'm like, I just knew it was Paul Washer and I like to listen to him. And so I start listening to the sermon and I'm kind of tracking with a lot of the stuff he's saying, but then at about halfway through the sermon, he gets to this verse, and I'm gonna read it for you. It's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, and this is what it says. Lord speaking through Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully obey my rules. I'm going to tell you right now, when he read that verse, I melted in my chair. Because I understood that on that motorcycle in June of 2009, I encountered the Lord. And I was born again. Right? That's what we call it. Now, big word, regeneration. That's our, that's our big doctrine word, right? So if you're like, what is this whole thing? It's called regeneration, to be made new. Uh, and in, in simpler terms, we call it the new birth. The new birth, because it's a spiritual birth that takes place. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. I'm going to let you all know, like I said, it, like applying it is kind of like, uh, but I also, I'm just, I can't be so self-centered to make a whole sermon about my testimony. That just feels weird to me because this should be about Jesus Christ, right? And so, as I struggled with putting this thing together, I thought, man, I'm just gonna expound on what this new birth is and why it was so impacting, why my whole life with both feet have been fixated on this one truth. And so we're gonna break down uh, the new birth, but let me first say this. If I could give you a thesis or a big idea, it would be this. By the new birth, we become Christ's followers. I don't know if you ever stopped to think how you became a Christ follower, but maybe you thought like, oh, I just turned over a new leaf. You did not. You were born again. You were resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. That's how you became a Christ follower. And so what I want to do from here, because some of you might be bewildered because you're like, wait a minute, 
that, like, you, maybe you don't understand all the ins and outs of this, and I'm just going to say there's a lot of it. I, I don't understand the ins and outs because it's spiritual and far above me. Uh, but let me do this. Let me break this down into three questions so we can look at what this new birth is. Okay, so the first question, what is the new birth? Second question, why do we need it? Third question, how does it work? Okay, so this isn't going to be an exhaustive list, but we're going to look at those three questions and kind of hit some points home. So number one, what is the new birth? Well, first and foremost, uh, what God says through Ezekiel is that he's going to give him a new heart, right? Now that's important. That's incredibly important. And here's why. Uh, in our culture, we may not consider that important because we have a very superficial understanding as to what the heart is. When we think about the heart, right, just this term, that really hurt my heart. We normally interpret the heart to be feelings. It's, we think that that's synonymous. But in ancient culture, biblically, the heart is something far deeper than just how you feel, right? If you think about Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to the Pharisees, and he references the heart. And do you know what he says about it? From the heart comes evil thoughts. In other words, before thinking, before anything is in your mind, there is something that feeds the mind. There's a sort of wellspring, a root to the tree. And what is it? It's the heart. It's the heart. The heart is far deeper than anything. It's deeper than your own personality because it's the very thing that feeds it. The closest thing that I could possibly even try to consider right now is what we would call the subconscious because we are like, we don't know what it is. We just know that stuff comes from it, right? And we dream at night and we don't know why. And so I would say that biblically, you could kind of compare those two things. The heart is the very seat of who you are. It's what feeds your mind, it's what motivates your affections, and it's what drives your will. The heart is the deepest part of who you are, and what we know about the new birth is that it changes you at that deepest level, right? Listen, God is not about coming in and going, let's just change the behavior. He goes to the deepest part and he changes that. He doesn't change the fruit on the tree. He uproots the whole tree and replants another one. That's how God does it. And so we read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul speaking, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Notice he doesn't say the old behavior, he says life. The very substance of what and who you are is radically transformed, radically transformed. How? Jeremiah 31, 33. God says, I will put my, my instructions deep within them and I will write them on your hearts. This heart that we have, this mysterious, mystical thing deep within. If it had DNA, it's almost like God says, I'm gonna go in and recode it. I'm gonna make it entirely different. And so he changes us in the deepest parts of our being. But you have to understand something. The new birth is also what makes it possible for us in any way to actually serve the Lord according to the first commandment. Not perfectly, don't get it twisted. 
In the, every believer in this room, at the end of your life, there will not have been one second where you have actually loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, ever. You will never do it. Jesus did it perfectly for 33 years without stopping. We can't. Sin is always hindering. Nevertheless, by the new birth, we're given a new heart. And if you think about the first commandment, right? Deuteronomy 6, 5, what does God command? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Thank you. Some people said it. You must love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We have a very superficial understanding as to what it's like to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, right? And I have a weird example that I shared a long time ago uh, that I'm going to slightly share again because it's too long of a story, but about two years ago, uh, I was encouraged to drive a box truck to Brooklyn. Not Brooklyn, Texas, Brooklyn, New York, right? Some of you are familiar with that story. Some of you were in Brooklyn. Uh, but here's what, here's what I got. I got a busted old box truck with no air seat, just a spring. And so literally the whole time, up and down, we hit our head on the rail, it was horrible. Now if you map the drive to Brooklyn, 24 hours, 7 minutes, at the speed limit, our average speed was about 56, so it took us like 33 something hours. I was hallucinating on the way home, legitimately, like seeing things. Uh, but I kept driving because I'm stubborn. Here's how we like to think of obeying the Lord. We like to think that obeying the Lord is like the speed limit. Well, just comply and it's okay, right? And so some of you, you're like, all right, Daniel, yeah, I gotta drive to Brooklyn, I'll keep the speed limit, I don't care. Now about an hour in, you're gonna be going 23 hours left, right? That's a whole day. And so it's really going to start to eat at you, but maybe, maybe you're just that morally upright citizen and you hold through and you drive the speed limit all the way there. And I applaud you, but let me just say this, you hated every single minute of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you did. Do not mistake God's law as the speed limit. God's not saying, hey, just comply outwardly. He wants it right here. He doesn't want you to begrudgingly obey him. He wants you to absolutely love and delight in obeying him. Right? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, this is what John says. We know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Then look at this. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. If you've experienced the new birth, here's what you have to know. God's commandments are no longer bad medicine. You will actually legitimately delight in serving him. You will want to please him. That'll be a very normal part of your life. Will you want to please him perfectly? Will you walk sinlessly? No, but man, you will want to so bad. You'll grow to hate sin so much because it's the thing that offends the one you love. That's what the new birth does, and it is essential, it is vital, you are not a Christ follower without it. You must be born again. You must be born again. So that brings us to the next point, the next question. Why do we need it? Why? Why can't we just be a Christ follower without this whole new birth thing? 
Back to the speed limit example. Because as much as you comply, in reality, you want what you want, not what God wants. You want to be God over your own life. You go, no, Daniel, no. I submit in all these areas, and I think I'm a pretty good person. Well, let me just say this. That might be the case until God wants to touch one thing. And now you're furious with him. How dare you? You have no right. Who are you to talk to the omnipotent king like that? Listen, I want to say this with all gentleness and with all love, because I know I'm talking to people in the Bible Belt. Morality is a great thing, but it gets you nowhere with the Lord. All your good deeds are filthy rags before him. There will be a lot of good moral people that suffer the judgment of eternal condemnation in the end. And that is a sad reality because they never set aside their pride and took refuge in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Genesis 6-5 says, right? If you're wondering like, okay, Dan, I don't think that's really the case. Listen to Genesis 6-5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. There's not one thought, there's not one imagination, there's not one motive in our hearts that is not in some way tainted with the corruption of sin. In some form or fashion, sin has utterly broke you. That even if you say, like, I, man, I work in youth ministry. Do you know what I deal with so often? People coming in and going, you know what, Daniel? No, I'm sick of this whole thing. I've been serving him and reading my Bible and praying, and then my girlfriend broke up with me. I'm going, okay, so were you serving God or your girlfriend? Because it sounds like you were just working for him in order to get the girl, which means the girlfriend was God the whole time. If you serve the Lord, you serve him for him because he's holy and worthy regardless of what he gives you in life, unto death. Every inclination of our heart geared toward evil. And listen to Romans 8, 7. The sinful nature is always hostile toward God. It never did obey his laws, and it never will. The ESV would say, and it cannot. It cannot. The sinful nature cannot obey God. And here's what makes that hard, and this is where we start getting into why the new birth is essential, why we have to have it. God demands love and obedience from the heart, from the most inner being. Now, some of you, you think that just overcomplicates things. And you're like, I don't think God has, I, that, that's just silly to me, that's ridiculous. Raise your hand in this room if you have ever been in a relationship. Now I want you to imagine something for a second, all right? Especially you who are married. Imagine being with your spouse and one day they go, hey, I'm complying with everything you want. Why is that not enough? Why do I have to want to do it too, right? You always hear that about the dishes. Well, I don't want you to just do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Why would I want to do dishes? You need the new birth, so you want dishes, right? Maybe you need that kind of born again. I don't know, but here's what I can tell you. We want to shake our fists at the heavens that God would demand a new birth, that he would demand a new heart, that we actually love him. Why can't we just perform and that be enough? You wouldn't even settle for that. You want to point the finger at him? 
What throne are you on? Step down. You got no right to that. God has every right to demand obedience and love from the heart, to delight in walking with him. The new birth is essential because we're so utterly helpless. We're so utterly helpless, right? If all of the inclinations of our heart are completely and totally evil always, then we have to be born again. Otherwise, listen how horrible this sounds. Listen how horrible this sounds. Imagine, imagine if the new birth weren't a thing and God said, you know what, here's what I want. I want you to obey me whether you like it or not. And so you gotta spend the rest of your life doing the things that you absolutely despise and hate just to get your way, just to get your ticket into heaven that you're gonna hate anyway because that's also God's rule and you hate it. Versus a new birth where what he does is he comes in and changes the desires of your heart. He takes that wayward heart that hates him, he removes it and puts a new one in, and now suddenly you absolutely love it. Like I hear stories about how people met and got married, and they're like, yeah, it was weird because honestly I wasn't, not that they weren't like attracted, but it's like I never really thought about it, but then I got to know them and all of a sudden they're all I could think about and I just wanted to please them. I'm like, oh wow, that's very similar to the new birth, right? He comes in and he changes that paradigm. He changes that vision and that perspective and you realize, man, this is life and it's what I've wanted all along. I've just been aiming at every wrong thing. We have to have the new birth because we are utterly helpless. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. You'll probably hear me use this quote in every sermon I ever preach. Paul says this, you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world. All of us, Paul says, including himself, the great apostle Paul, including himself, all of us used to live that way in the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. We're dead in sin. We're dead in it. And let me just give you a quick little analogy here. If I had a guy named Joseph up here on the stage and he's dead right now, and I don't like his shoes, do you think it's gonna do me any good to go, hey Joseph, you need to change those shoes, man? Like with that, you, you guys would be like, Daniel, I don't know if you know how it works, but there's not life in his body, he's dead. And so it is the same way. Why is the new birth essential? Because I can't, if you're dead in sin, all I'm doing is trying to coax dead people to get up and be better. That's ridiculous. That's not good news. That's not gospel. That's not evangelion. That's dead morality. That's just spraying cologne on a corpse and hoping that it'll cover up the stench. It's pointless. You know what else we call that? Hypocritical. The new birth is essential. It's absolutely essential. We must be born again. It's funny, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of the Puritans and the revivalist preachers. I love that deep, 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 rich theology. I love it. I love reading a sentence and just going, 
and just, I can't go past it. I, I, I love it. I cherish it. And I remember one of my, one of my great heroes of the faith, George Whitfield, uh, was asked at one point, this lady had heard him preach a thousand times, and she comes up to him after a sermon one time, and she's like, George, okay, listen, why? Why are you always preaching? You must be born again. 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 And he says, ma'am, because you must be born again. And I just thought, what a simple answer, but how rich. Because if you actually understand what Scripture teaches, not only do you realize, yeah, man, you must be born again, but you also realize how life-giving and freeing it is to not be enslaved to commandments that you hate, but to be brought into life. It's a beautiful thing. And so, uh, third question, how does a new birth work? And listen, here's what I know. I'm going to offend some people in this room on this one. Listen, I promise you right now I'm not intending to. I'm not trying to be that guy that's like, I don't care if you're offended. I'm not like that. Uh, But I am going to challenge what you've probably believed and what you've been taught, okay? Uh, But also understand something. My job is not to stand up here and teach you what you've been taught. My job is to teach you what Scripture clearly tells us. And so I think the reason a lot of you aren't going to like this is because the new birth is going to kind of take some things out of your hands for a minute. Uh, And we like control because we're idolaters. And so let me me back this up with a story really quickly from John chapter 3. See, some of you guys who know rebirth, you know the new birth, you're like, he's going to teach John chapter 3. It's coming. You can't not, right? Uh, So if you don't know John chapter 3, let me give you a little rundown really quickly. Uh, Jesus is kind of doing ministry at this point, and there's this guy named Nicodemus. Uh, Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But he's not just any Pharisee. According to Jesus himself, he is the teacher of Israel. Not a, the definite article over the whole nation of Israel, which means this guy is older and he is incredibly well respected. Nicodemus comes to Jesus one night to talk to him and he addresses him and he says, teacher, we know that you've been sent by God. And then John, not giving us this exhaustive explanation of the conversation, Jesus responds, in other words, here's what Nicodemus is doing. He's saying, look, we know God sent you, and so we need you to go ahead and tell us what's going on. Like, let's just join forces, and let's teach Israel together. And here's how Jesus responds. Listen to me. I got to give you back. A Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been the most moral person on the entire planet, literally. Like, you cannot, if a Pharisee walked in this room right now, in regards to morality, I would just go ahead and get off the stage, because I would look like a child right? Like my morality is absolute trash in comparison to a Pharisee. They followed, if you go through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, just know that these guys obeyed all of them. They had like 630 something laws that they obeyed on a daily basis. I'm not kidding when I say that. Not only that, some of you may go, what if they forgot a law? They didn't. And here's why. Uh, The law is what we call the first five books of the Bible. They had it memorized. To be a Pharisee, you just had to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Some of you are like, doesn't sound horrible. Genesis, the first book, 50 chapters. Had it memorized by heart. First five books. Now, Nicodemus, being the teacher of Israel, most likely the whole Old Testament, the entire thing memorized. Memorized. Could get up here and just start quoting it. Again, one reason I would just get off the stage. I can't do that. Jesus' first words to him after, after Nicodemus comes so politely, 
Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says to the most moral, moral person of the first century. Turns him upside down. So he's confused, he begs more questions. Jesus then responds with Ezekiel 36. With Ezekiel 36. And Nicodemus would have had it memorized and he's still like, what? So then he asks this question of Jesus. He says, how can this be? In other words, how? How is someone born again? And here's how Jesus responds. You're not going to like this. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where, where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You know what he's saying? Nicodemus says, okay, Jesus, tell me, how is someone born again? And here's how Jesus responds. He says, all right, you ever watch the wind? And Nicodemus is like, yeah, you know, he's leaning in. He's like, yeah, you know how you can see that it does stuff? Well, when people are born of the Spirit, you're going to know because it's going to change things. It's going to blow some things around. But how it works, <laughs> I know, some of you were like, wait a minute, no. You can't leave it at that, Daniel. I need an equation. I need something to grab onto so that I can be born again. Here's what I'm going to tell you. And I know, again, some of you are dissatisfied. I'm not saying something Jesus didn't. I'm just not. We've got all these things. We're like, hey, chant this prayer. The Holy Spirit has to enter. False. Jesus says the wind blows where it wants. You know what that means? The Holy Spirit does what he wants. You don't command him around. There's no incantation. This isn't paganism where we're summoning spirits. I know some of you guys, you know theology. You're going, this guy's a Calvinist. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because I don't believe you can sum up all of God's salvific plan in five points. I don't think that that's possible. But I will say this. If you were born again, you added nothing to it. That's God's doing. That's his power. That's his miracle. If you want to know where you pan out in your new birth, if you were born again, you go, well, what did I do? Here's what you did. Uh, if you know the story of Lazarus, when Jesus raised him from the dead, you were Lazarus in the tomb, four days dead. That's, what, that's, your, that's your part. That's your role in it. Right? Thank you. Who said that? Who said stinking? Thank you. Absolutely you were stinking. You were nasty with sin because you were dead in it. The whole world saw it. It was a disgusting aroma to God. He thought, that is utterly, bleh. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't go, kick him out. Instead, he brought you to life. He wiped that stench clean away. You're Lazarus laying in a tomb, dead, completely unaware of the realities of God and his perfect righteousness and his glory. And then Jesus Christ came after you've been dead four days, and the first thing he does, he says, hey, get that, get that stone away. And then your stench comes out. See, thank you, brother. That stench comes out, and then you're like, oh, and everybody's going, Lord, just stop. Put the stone back in front. This is too much. He goes, now, nah, watch this, son. Lazarus, come out. Right? It's not like the movies. He didn't walk in there and kiss him on the forehead, and Lazarus like, <gasps> he doesn't even go in the tomb. He just says, hey, and the dead man rose. 
You know why Jesus references to Nicodemus, you must be born again? You know, he could have said anything. He could have said, no, you have to have the spirit come in and bring you to life. You know, he could have said anything. You know why he says born again? Because in the same way you contributed absolutely nothing to your physical birth, in the same way you contribute absolutely nothing to your spiritual birth. You were dead in sin. You get into these issues with this kind of stuff, man, and, and I understand, like some of you guys, let's, let me give you an, a scenario, let me give you an example really quickly. Uh, this is my mom right here in the second front row, she's not gonna like this. Uh, what's your name, ma'am? What's your name? Sandra, so let's say my mom and Sandra are sitting here, uh, and at the end of it, mom, not to pick on you, at the end of this sermon, Sandra here, let's say both of them are non-believers, even though they are, uh, let's say Sandra here follows the Lord Jesus Christ, and my mom does not. In the end, uh, what can Sandra come in, like, for what reason? They both heard the same sermon. Was Sandra intellectually more capable than my mom? Did she just have a softer heart, and so she wanted to start following Jesus? Like, do you understand what you can do at that point? You can now attribute credit to Sandra and not all Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to be honest. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, and here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to tell the Corinthians, hey, you were absolutely nothing. You had no capacity, no ability, no intellect, and here's what happened. God decided to choose that thing which was absolute nothingness to overturn what everyone thought was something. Why? So that he could receive all the glory. If this was not miraculous by God's doing and God's doing alone, then you have some glory in it, and you do not. Any glory you have is glory that he gave to you freely by grace as a gift. So then where do you fit into it? Right? Like at that point, you'll have some people that go, well, fine. Then I don't care anyway. Well, that's pride. Right? You're just, I mean, that's, that's literally just an example. That's just an example of why God really shouldn't have to save anyone. And yet he's merciful. So let me say this. Where do you fit in? Uh, I, I, when, when I think about stuff like this, I think about verses like John 6, 44. Uh, this is Jesus speaking when he says this. He says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I'll raise them up. You know what he's saying? I mean, he's literally saying, you are incapable of coming to me unless the Father draws you. Why? Because remember Romans 8, 7. Your sinful nature is hostile toward God. You cannot go, you, there's no way that someone can even come along persuasively and go, you know what? I'm just going to get up and follow Jesus today. No. You can't. You're dead in sin. You're hostile toward him. What's our role in it? Let me say this first and foremost. If you're being drawn to Christ, it's by God's mercy and his grace and his faithfulness and his love. So what do you do? Move with him. You have responsibility in this, right? Romans, well, the whole point of Romans 1 is that no one's without excuse. You have responsibility in this. You say, well, what does that even look like? Well, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, work, to, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Listen to me, if you want to know, like, where, where do I fit into this, well, my question is this, do, uh, does your heart hear him? 
Do you have a drawing? Do you have an alluring to the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, understand that you, you can't even have that unless the Father gives it to you. Run with it. Oh my gosh, run with it. Right? And look at what he even says. In the, in the ESV, it's work out your own salvation. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say work out hard to get salvation. He says work out your own salvation. In other words, you already have it. You can't work out something you don't have. Imagine trying to work out your biceps if you didn't have them. You couldn't do this. In order to work out salvation, you first must have it. But why are you working it out? Because God is giving you the desire to want to do so. What if he doesn't want to draw me in, right? Some of you are there. You're going, well, this is ridiculous. You know, what if, what if God doesn't want to draw me? What about those people that don't hear this message? Well, here's what I do know. I, I, now, if, if you're asking me to explain to you the entirety of the governance of God's salvation and his plan in it, I don't know. And I'm fine with that. I am utterly okay with not being able to fully explain that. But I can tell you this, 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, he is patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. How do I, how do I wrap those two things together? I don't. And do you know why? Because the Bible doesn't. And I think it's completely okay that we don't understand that. But here's what I can tell you. However it all works, here's what I know it can't be. It can't be that there's people he doesn't care about and doesn't love. Do you know why I can say that? Because Romans chapter three, verse 25, makes it very clear of, of something God did. That God displayed Jesus Christ publicly. Publicly. He could have had him executed into prison publicly gave him a ministry that was so enormous that the whole known world knew of him, so great that it changed the course of human history, took that man and displayed him publicly on a cross as the appeasement of God's anger and his wrath toward our sin, right? Remember what Ephesians 2, 3 said, that we were by nature subject to God's anger? Well, what happened to that anger? Jesus Christ stepped in and took it so that the wrath of God toward our sin could be appeased, that it could be paid for, that it could be satisfied so that we could be freed from it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. Why? So that we could be the righteousness, so that we could be made the righteous of God in him. I'm just gonna say this, man, I, 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 can't, I cannot comprehend. If you're in the room and you're going, well, I guess he just doesn't wanna draw me, man, you're just not looking to the cross. You're looking to inwardly, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You want evidence that God is calling people to himself? Look to the cross. All I see, listen to me, all I see is a God who is calling sinners to himself. If you're not coming to Christ, there's only one reason, and it's you. This passage utterly changed my life. 
And it should change yours as well. I know I've heard Pastor Milton, Pastor Ed speak on this several times where they talk about people adding things to Christianity, adding things to the gospel. Uh, and, and, and it's just so, listen, you make it more complicated than what it really is. The new birth is freeing. It is freeing. Listen what Paul says in Galatians 6.15. He says it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. In other words, it's not a matter of whether you're doing or not doing. What matters is one thing. What counts is whether you have been transformed into a new creation. And then he follows that up by saying, may the peace of God rule in the hearts of all those who live by this. The new birth is reassuring, it is freeing, because it it frees us, it liberates us into a lifestyle that wants to please God. And so let me close with two things. Number one, if you have been transformed by him, if you've experienced the new birth, man, be encouraged. Oh, be so incredibly encouraged. Listen to what Paul says, Philippians 1.6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What is he saying? He's saying if God began that work, if you've experienced the new birth, then know this for certain. God will bring it to completion. Trust him. Trust him. If he started it, why do you think you're finishing it? And then some of you, you're going, well, that sounds great, Daniel, but I am struggling so hard with sin, and I am fighting so hard, and I am falling, and I hate it, and I can't stand it. Let me give you some assurance really quickly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by that one offering, he, Jesus Christ, forever perfected those who are being made holy. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say Jesus Christ forever perfected those who are holy, but those who are being made. Do you know what that means? That means that you are yet to be entirely holy. And so let me just say this. If you are struggling with sin, if you are craving God's justice and God's righteousness, if you are craving his kingdom, if you want to please him, and yet you keep finding yourself falling, defeated, beat up, be encouraged believer. God's hope was never in you in the first place. It was in Jesus Christ to be righteous on your behalf. He has forever perfected you because he has covered you in his own perfect righteousness. So when God looks at you, he sees you only as holy, blameless, and above reproach, completely. There is no longer sin to your account because he will remember it no more. Move toward him constantly. You have no reason not to if you believe that. No reason not to. You're being made holy. You're in a war, you're in a battle. Listen, the only person in this room, and I'm not saying this to be mean to anybody, the only person in this room that should be bothered are people who are not in that battle. If you don't care about sin and you don't care about righteousness, then I would say, and I mean this with all gentleness and love, you've yet to be born again. But let me also say this to you. If you're hearing his voice today, do not harden your hearts. He's calling you to his own son. Set aside your pride, set aside your puffed up wisdom trying to imagine a God in your own image and repent and believe him. Throw yourself at the cross, throw yourself at the feet of Christ. 
that he could take away your sin. Second thing, if he's walking with you, be intentional on walking with him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. This is, it, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If he's walking with you, intentionally walk with him. Go back, Philippians 2, what does he say? Work out your own salvation. Why? Because it's God who's working in you to work it out in the first place. Walk with him. There's nothing greater. There's no higher calling. I'm going to pray because I really don't know how to close from that point. I'm just going to pray and I want to let you guys know if, if any of you are confused or bewildered or encouraged or happy or crying or whatever it might be, uh, we'll, we'll be right over here to the right in the hospitality room if you want to catch us over there or if you just want to stop in and say random things. We're also fine with that. Whatever you want to do, man. We just encourage you, but I would just say this. If you're a believer in this room and you know it, you're a Christ follower, I hope that you're encouraged by the new birth. I really do because I am. And if you're a non-believer in this room and you've heard his voice, man, respond. Respond. Christ Jesus died to pay the debt for your sin. There's no reason not to. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you are the God of all grace and goodness and love and kindness. And I thank you so much that you're even the God of all justice and wrath. And I thank you so much that on the cross we see your justice and your wrath meet with your love and your mercy. Your hatred for sin crushed Jesus Christ. But in your love you spared us and crushed him. We praise you, Father, for your son Jesus who stepped in as the lamb for our sacrifice, the one who atoned for our sin. And we praise you for the Holy Spirit who gives us the new birth, who makes us a new creation, who writes your laws on our hearts and on our minds and causes us, motivates us to move forward and do what pleases you. We praise you. Father, I'm just asking right now that you would magnify in all of our hearts in this room the will and the, and the desire to please you more and more and more, that we would love you and cherish you and that we would find nothing more pleasing and nothing greater than walking with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you are glorified, and I know you're going to be. And I pray, Father, that Jesus Christ is praised in the hearts in this room. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, if we see you all over there, cool. If not, you all have a good week.